Dear Lord, I pray that you will bless us today, that Sunday school will not be a time of just filling our minds, but of preparing our hearts, of being disciplined by your spirit from the teaching of your word, Lord. Help us to be more conformed to the image of the Son. May it lead to more appropriate worship to follow, Lord. Bless this day, your worship day, your glorious day. May you be honored and glorified by the worship of your saints. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, so, put that there. Uh, everyone hopefully has a handout uh, called Why Study Heresy. We're gonna get into three different religions and the false Jesus of three different religions over the next three weeks. Uh, but I wanted to have the first one uh, be a discussion and to be a study on why would you even spend time listening to worthless words from sinful men? Why would we even spend our time doing this? Is this the kind of thing you should be doing in Sunday school? Shouldn't we be learning about God, not about um, false doctrine? And so um, it's, it's a legitimate question. Uh, whoever has the mic, and you'll see the, ver the passages uh, where I have passages um, on any of the subpoints. So that includes the um, 1689 and the Apostles' Creed, any of the subpoints other than the quotes. We're going to have whoever has the mic read. Um, and then whoever ends up with the mic in the, when we kind of just pass it along uh, for L the Luke passage under point two, uh, you might want to scribble in, that's meant to be Luke chapter 13. Um, Ezra is my uh, final editor-in-chief. I had him read through all the passages this morning and I realized I must have uh, had a typo somehow in there for that passage. So um, you might want to have Luke 13 open. But whoever has the mic, uh, if you'd start at the very top, we have Philippians 4, 8 through 9, um, if you'd read that for us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right. Would we put the doctrine of Mormonism, Islam, and Jehovah's Witness in the category of what is lovely, good, true, honorable, pure? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, and so this is why, to me, this is important, why today we focus on even the purpose for this study and what we're going to look at um, in preparation for this is because I think there can be uh, misunderstandings as to what we should do with um, these other religions, how deep should we go, these various things. I really want to orient us to Jesus. The whole purpose of this study, so the, the fill in the blank under why study heresy point one is to more accurately know Jesus. So the whole, the whole point of this is not so that we can be experts in any given religion or doctrine of anyone else. It is that we more accurately know our own Jesus. We are more precise in our descriptions, but most importantly, in our heart, we know the Jesus we worship. Uh, whoever has the mic, if you'd read Hebrews 7, 22 through 25. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priest 
the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in offer, office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So we are to draw, our salvation is based on drawing near to God through Jesus, and we preach the gospel here regularly, but there's a lot of people who claim Jesus. Um, that's why we're specifically, out of all the religions to look at, tried to stick with the religions that we are most likely to interact with, and those specifically that try to claim the name of Jesus, right? Those um, five letters get used talking about a being, and the question is, who is that being? Who is being described? Who is our Jesus, the one true Jesus? And if he's the guarantor of the covenant that we are putting everything into and we are staking everything on, we ought to know the, the worthiness and the qualities of the one who guarantees our covenant. Um, and so that is the intention here. Uh, point number two there, uh, we'll actually have Luke 2, through 28 read uh, and you'll see what will fill in in those blanks. Or excuse me, 13, thank you. Yes, okay. 13. 13, 22, the 28? Yes. Okay. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journaling, oh, journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I will tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Uh, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside to knock at that door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer, I do not know, uh, know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught uh, in our streets. But he, he will say, I, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Verse 28, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. All right. So the blanks there on number two is because the door is narrow. The door is narrow. It is not a catch-all Jesus. You've claimed Jesus. You claim, hey, Jesus, I preached on your streets, right? I'm picturing the white cut-off dress shirt, uh, button-up shirt of Mormons biking on the streets, right? We were on your streets testifying to your name, right? Depart from me. I do not know you. And they, yet they claim the name Jesus. And so if the door is narrow, we probably want to know the dimensions of the door, right? We need to figure out how we squeeze in through the right door to make sure that the door we're claiming is not this expanded catch-all door. Um, we need to know our Jesus. And if we were to ask some of these, when we go to look at some of these other um, documents and things that describe Jesus, we'll quickly see how there are others who will claim, yeah, I can fit through that door too, even though they do not hold to the appropriate Jesus. So we need to know, because the door is narrow, we need to know very specifically who our Jesus is, um, and as well, who our Jesus is not. Um, if you see uh, kind of, I have a couple of quotes I wanted to include there uh, in terms of language. And um, I thought about at first maybe starting off with having a, with the whiteboard just with 
the word Jesus on it. And the reality is each one of those letters, J-E-S-U-S, is worthless. I mean, Jesus together, those letters combined, has no value. The whole point of language is to communicate an idea, is to give understanding, is to bring understanding. And while there is value in communication, God blessing us with language, there is value there. There is no salvific value in the letters Jesus, right? I know a lot of Jesuses, okay? We know Jesuses. Those letters are not magical and blessed in and of themselves, right? And the language in which you speak, all the point of language is, is to communicate ideas and images. And if you see, uh, here are a couple quotes. These are not Christian, but just um, scholars from uh, uh, Britannica um, said, language is the expression of ideas by means of speech sounds combined to words. Words are combined into sentences. The combination answering to that or I of ideas into thought. Uh, and then below, a language is a system of arbitrary vocal symbols by means of which a social group cooperates. And so, praise the Lord, we have things like the written word, and we do have the ability to communicate. In fact, we have specific mandates to communicate and go out and speak. And we do have these methods of communication. And yet, the letters, J-E-S-U-S, -S, in and of themselves, do not mean we're talking about the same person. It's what is represented behind it. So we will, um, we will see this uh, later on. Um, we're gonna see some of these um, equivalencies that people will claim and how they are false through all these religions. But we need to be careful because um, what some might call semantics is very critical distinction. It's very critical distinction. And so we also need to be careful not to get caught up in the idea that words and letters in and of themselves mean what we think they mean. Um, and this might seem a bit obvious, and yet I have to imagine we've been there in a spot where you're like, they're saying all the right things and I cannot figure out, I know I disagree with you, but why? I'm trying to remember why. And that is the intent here, is, is to get away from that, to instead know who it is you worship, and then we got to do the part that hopefully is the easy part, which is how do we use the language in which we speak to accurately describe that Jesus, that door, that narrow door that we're attempting to enter. Um, and that is, that is what we're trying to do. Our goal is not to use language um, to make sure we're all on the same page in terms of, uh, oh, you're, you're team Jesus, I'm team Jesus, even some of these other documents that we look at um, that are agreed upon. In point three, um, and where we're going to spend a little more time here, the third purpose for, for studying this is to be able to spot the most common false equivalencies. False equivalencies. So as I've stated, there are people who will claim the same Jesus. We need to know what's going on there, right? We need to see it. We need to know what's happening. We need to be able to guard and shepherd younger folks, our kids, right? My son, if you ask Ezra, he will tell you anyone who says God at any point is Christian. He just told me yesterday, America is Christian because it says God in the Pledge of Allegiance, right? Which I think there are adults who are ready to tell me that too, but I, I have the job and responsibility of educating and making clear the word God is not equivalent for all. 
This con our Constitution, our Pledge of Allegiance, it's written by deists, not necessarily Christians. And so um, we want to be able to spot false equivalencies because they can slip in and sneak and distract. So whoever has the microphone, if you'd read Galatians 1, 6 through 9 for us. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So if there is a gospel being preached contrary, let him be accursed. We should be aware of who the accursed are and where the accursing is happening. We should be aware that there is false doctrine being taught. And where I want to be a bit cautious of this is we, I do not want to lay on guilt or responsibility that we have to know every type of false gospel, right? This is, again, the whole point of this is, is to bring us back and root us in the gospel so that when something contrary to that standard is said, we're aware. And we'll get into some evangelism aspects of this. There, that is a component of this. Um, and yet, in, in evangelism efforts, what I would say is you, your point is to get to Jesus, not to debate on these other things. Your whole point is you're trying to get to Jesus. And if you don't know your gospel, you won't be able to notice these accursed. And yet, there's, I think, practical value and wisdom in that the common religions that we come shoulder to shoulder with, it might be good to know the strategies and tactics that they take um, in talking about Jesus specifically. So that when that false doctrine is being taught or said for those who we have young folks or other folks who are going out and evangelizing on streets or evangelizing to others, and others sound like, yeah, they're coming alongside and evangelizing with me. They're saying good things that you have, right? That we are, what, uh, innocent as doves and wise as serpents? That you are able to discern that false doctrine. Um, for me, this started coming really close to home because uh, I have been blessed at work to have, um, I think, three bosses in a row that were all believers. Various levels, uh, various levels. My advice to all of them after we ended our time together, they moved on or I moved on to another position was, wear Christ on your sleeve a little more, be a little more obvious. But I, um, all of them would, in our meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings, we'd talk about Christ on a regular basis. And then I had a switch. I suddenly had a consultant working with me on a regular basis, a couple times a week, who was Jehovah's Witness. And then I also have now, my current boss, uh, at least for the next little bit, is uh, he's Muslim. And suddenly I realized, ooh, okay, this is, this is different. Instead of having the um, blessing of the comfort of going, I am struggling with this work policy or this work thing going on. How do I, how do I be a professional and yet not get pulled into sin? And we could talk about these things together. Now I'm in a position where I have people who are claiming things about Jesus around me and going, oh good, you're a Christian. We have similarities, right? Or, oh, you keep talking about Jesus. We have similarities. And so I was in a spot where I needed to be aware very distinctly of how to talk about my Jesus, the one true Jesus, and to also talk to um, and evangelize to them. 
Now, practically speaking, um, I can't do that for all religions. I, on my next, on uh, my last work trip, traveling out to Pennsylvania, have an Uber driver. I'm like, ha, you're stuck with me for 45 minutes in a car. You have to, you kind of are stuck listening to me, ask some questions, it with, very easily gets into a discussion about God. Once I start asking her questions, she talks to me about how her experience with religion, she grew up going to um, church meetings. She was one of the daughters of Job. No clue. Um, daughters of Job, I don't know. I don't know that I really want to know. Based on what she was saying, it was associated with Masonic Lodge and some of these things, a lot of rituals. But what I don't want to do is put a burden on you all to go find out what the, what the daughters of Job are for when you run into those three daughters of Job in Arizona, right? And so we're going to talk about this and the purpose, although we talk about specific religions that have a high probability of interaction, the point will always be to get back to Jesus. Always get back to Jesus. And even when we talk about some of these religions and the things they claim about Jesus, the point is not to beat them in the, a debate. The point is not to um, do any of that. It is to get back to the one true Jesus who saves, not to convince them that they don't have a Jesus who saves. Because great, you just told them you're up a creek without a paddle. They thought they had a paddle, and you told them they don't. And then you say bye. That does them no good. We've got to get to the one true Jesus. And so in all of this, right, when we start asking them about their understanding, I can tell you she, did, she had no understanding when I was asking questions about Jesus. She had no understanding or remembrance of what the daughters of Job taught. She just remembers it was very ritualistic. We said these chants. We did these things. We sang some songs, right, things like that. And so I want us to have balance and caution when we do this, not to get sucked into, now I need to go get a PhD in Mormonism. That's not what this is. And yet, it'd be helpful to know the false claims of, in particular, those groups we're going to interact with so that we have easier conversations back to Jesus, the Jesus who saves. Um, and so what I would like us to do is whoever has the microphone is, is on page uh, 674 in the back of the blue hymnal. And I would encourage everybody to turn there. Every time uh, we read the confession, I usually have to read a paragraph. They're so dense, so much meat in there that I have to read it four or five times. So I think it would behoove us all to read along, but it looks like Nick has the microphone. Would you mind reading the first paragraph of chapter 8 on page 674? Of Christ the Mediator. It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, according to the covenant made between them both, to, the, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed, and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons will give a hearty amen. A hearty amen. Now, there are things in there in which we know, wait, no, this word, there is more to this word than what maybe the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons would claim, and yet these words are significant and substantial to us, not to them, but we live in a world of the English language, right, of language. And this is where, again, I say 
there is such limited value in words, in language, in the language itself, not what the words represent. That is what's truly important. And so um, whoever has the microphone, I think, let me look, I should have looked up uh, the Apostles' Creed number um, in the blue. Roman numeral 12, thank you. I was seeing fingers from Wayne, I was confused. But thank you, Carol. Thank you, Wayne, good effort. Uh, Roman numeral 12, uh, would you, whoever has the mic, would you read the Apostles' Creed for us? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the, res the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So, again, Jehovah's Witnesses, on board. Catholics, on board. Uh, Mormons, they aren't super aware of this, but um, I have felt super icky in all of this study because I've spent too much time on Mormon blogs, and uh, uh, plenty of article posts, blog posts talking about, look, let's compare this to what's in our documents. No issues here. No issues here. We're not so certain about its source. It's, you know, men, the source of men, but um, really when you look at this and they highlight, I even have one that they highlight the words to show the commonalities. Uh, to that point, I even, and you'll get a chance to see it um, as part of the Mormonism, um, uh, our first one being Mormonism next week, I even had the chance to read it out loud to my dad, uh, the Mormon doctrines, their, their creed on uh, that they were equating to the Apostles' Creed. And it's, it's much longer, but I read it and I told him, pick out, pick out the heresy. And, and you read it, you get through and you're like, sounds pretty good. You're like, it's very King Jamesy. Very King Jamesy, but it sounds pretty good. And this is what we're this is what we're struggling against, right? We we train up our children, and I want my children to grow up knowing the Apostles' Creed, right? I uh, early on in my work, when people uh, I was trying to evangelize at work, we have a digital huddle board where we a board where we put resources, and we have a kind of a personal space where we give a little bio about ourselves and some images of our family um, with my team. And I put up there. If it, I've talked about being a Christian, if anyone wants to know what I believe, here you go. And it's a link to the Apostles' Creed, right? Search it at your own peril. Jesus is contagious. He's going to get you, right? And I put it up there. Apostles' Creed, something we commonly rely on. Again, the deceiver is using words and is, will be willing to use semantics, what uh, is not semantics, call semantics, to help deceive, and we have to be on guard and careful for this. And so when other people who will be in a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth, who the Lord will say, depart from me, I never knew you, those people claim the very same creed that we as a church, or would be willing to agree with, that very same creed that we as a church read and say aloud with our heart, bringing us joy, knowing that we are talking about our salvation, there's, there's worthiness to understanding and being more aware, aware and cognizant. 
And I think, you know, I, I look at like Samuel and, and some others that maybe didn't spend a lot of time in Arizona, um, like they haven't grown up here. Those of us who have grown up here spent a lot of time, you're going to run into Mormons just about every day. And we're used to maybe some of this and, and being aware of this. But for others, maybe this is a new experience, an interaction. You don't know them very well. But man, do they want to call themselves Christians so badly. They've, the number of rebranding efforts that they've tried to do things, right, to get away from, from being called Mormons, a name that they originally chose, to try to get and identify with, we're all Christian brothers. You know, your scriptures are a little bit, a little bit off, but we're all Christian brothers, right? I believe in Jesus. I believe Mary. Jesus was born in Mary in Bethlehem, right? And go, they go through it. It's the only son of God. Boom, boom, boom. They'll go through it all. We believe in the same thing. And their desire to identify with us, right, can make it very, very dangerous. And this is where I think, especially when I think about those who come to Sunday school, right? These are the people who Many of you are also the ones who stay for prayer service. These are the ones who are progressing consistently and seeking, desiring to progress in your spiritual maturation. We have a whole bunch of people we need you to be on guard for and to protect and to be around and to be hearing unsound doctrine, right? We have young people who want to be married, right? And I've, young men growing up, going to school, Mormon girls all around, Claiming to know Jesus, it is a dangerous world. It is a dangerous world full of wolves and sheep clothing, right? And so the, to me, this is, again, where the value comes in. So we're going to go on to point number four. Um, and uh, maybe you guessed it already by looking at the passage. Whoever has the microphone, would you read First Peter 3, 13 through 17? Who, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as, in, as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than doing what is wrong. So, point number four, why study heresy? To be able to give a defense for our hope, right? For the hope that lies within us. It's a catchy title. The reality, again, is to know our Jesus, to give a defense. It is not to go on the attack. It is not, I know Mormonism better than Mormon, so let me attack it. Good luck. I don't know how many of you have been in a discussion where someone comes right at you, and the result of them coming right at you and trying to beat you logically and, and get, you know, a, a debate tournament win. I don't know how many times you've walked away from that and gone, Yep, actually, based on the rules of debate, they are right. I now believe what they said, right? That's not it at all. Instead, it's about the defense, right? We let the Holy Spirit go on attack. We are going to give a defense for our faith. So when someone comes in and claims and claim, makes accusations or what um, 
Uh, we'll see, like, it goes on to revile you for your good works, right? Instead, we're able to say, well, our hope, our we can give the defense for what is our hope, which is not their opinion. It is not logic. It is not their brain going, I have to succumb to the overpowering intellect of this person in front of me. That is just not what it is. Instead, we need to be able to have a defense. And the most common places where we might come under attack unknowingly is in this syncretism. So those who aren't familiar with syncretism, it's trying to merge religions together. We see this a lot in the Old Testament where people have, um, I'm a little bit Christian, yeah, Team Yahweh, but also let's do a little bit of Baal worship to try to get the benefits over here, right? And you're trying to collect the benefits from all these different religions. And that's that with Mormons are trying to do this, right? Even, um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about Muslims sometimes and Islam in that we hear more about what's on the news and significant events in the Middle East than maybe having interacted with and discussed with Mormons or Muslims. But I can tell you my boss, who's Muslim, is probably the single kindest person I've worked with, right? And his care for me is, seems genuine and his respect for me is significant. And I'm going, hmm, okay, what am I supposed to do about this? And then he talks to me about how good a, the prophet Jesus was. What am I supposed to do with this, right? And so this is where if we need to give a defense, if we need to be able to understand and protect and know what it is that we are putting our faith on, it is not on the name Christian. Those letters have the same value as all these other letters I keep referring to. And so we need to be able to give a defense. And I, I would put almost as a sub-point in this, this is where I'd put evangelism, okay? So I do believe, and I'm hoping, right, that you are going to feel better equipped to evangelize, right? I'm not necessarily a big believer in evangelism classes. I think you're getting evangelism class every Sunday when you hear the law and the gospel. Talk to someone about the law and the gospel. Those, those are what people need to hear. And yet we're going to try to hopefully see that even the feeblest attempts to get back to the true Jesus is evangelism. That is what it is. That's what we're trying to do. So that will be a, a kind of a sub point um, and benefit to giving a defense uh, for the faith, uh, for the hope within us. Okay, number five. Why study heresy? Not to be able to win a debate. Okay, I've referenced this a couple times. Our goal is not to win a debate. Has anyone watched a debate online, by a show of hands, like a debate where there's two people, and it's like, you know, especially those catchy ones, right? Um, Christian destroys atheist, you know, all caps destroys, and oh, uh, atheist says something and they regret, you know, whatever, and this one verse destroys atheism. You see stuff like this, catchy titles, gets millions of views. Maybe you've even watched Christian debates, right? You're like, ooh, okay, here's, we got a baptism one, we got Sproul, and we got MacArthur. Ooh, this is gonna be good. How many of you have watched a debate with a, you had an opinion, and then after the bait, debate, you, had a, you changed your opinion? Has anyone changed their opinion based on the debate they watched? Okay, we have one. Okay, Rob Roy is the most open-minded of this church, as what's been learned. No, but you see the reality, right? I would venture to guess there are more times we've watched a debate and we've gone, ooh, that's interesting points. I need to know how to defend against this. I need to know how to make an argument against that. Not, I've been convinced 
of the truth of that statement, right? You start to dig in your heels. It is not us and our intellect that save. It is not us and our logic. It is not getting them to say the right words and read our track and say it out loud just the right way. It is them being exposed to the gospel, to hear the gospel, which comes from the word of God. We are informed what the gospel is from the word of God. And then it's the Holy Spirit. And I, I, at this point, I've said it so many times. The Holy Spirit's undefeated. When the Holy Spirit goes for someone and they've heard the gospel, he will get who he wants and he will win. For us, the whole point of this is not to win a debate because we do not convict, the Holy Spirit convicts, and yet it is to be able to give a coherent defense and to instead present them the gospel. Uh, whoever has the microphone, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The description here of fear and much trembling is pretty much me every single time I go, okay, I'm going to ask the words, I'm going to ask the words, do you believe in God, right? It's, it's becoming easier. The more you do it, the easier it becomes, and yet uh, fear of man exists. I'm a sinner, and even when I'm trying to do the best, single best thing I can do, which is share the gospel, I'm fearful, right? I have fear and trembling. And yet, if Paul can say this and calls us back not to his wisdom and his might and his grandiose words, instead calls us back to the power of the Holy Spirit, that is the intent and purpose for us. You, I want us all to be able to say, I know nothing among us except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is, that is what we need to know and what we need to get to. And so um, the, where I'm asking for accountability for me is as I teach this, is are we getting back after we learn about something, are we getting back to the point, which is this is false because this is true, right? Look at the false to see what is true. We have polemics, right? We, we got to see a lot about this uh, polemics, this idea of God directly attacking the false, um, the false gods of Egypt. When our pastor Nick preached through Exodus, we got to see how God attacked them and exposed the truth that he is Yahweh and the only God worthy of praise in his polemics and his attacks on these um, nations. And so our intent will be to look at these to get back to Christ. Um, the, the last thing I'll add is after this, these next few, we're, not, we're only going to be able to get so far in 45 minutes on each of these religions. Because the focus is Christ, we're, we're not going to get into, you know, Mormon underwear and weird traditions, things that we would call weird traditions and, and acts. That is not the purpose of this. And so I would encourage you all to, as you think through this again, when you learn about these religions, instead of thinking through every strange aspect, think through tactically. I'm talking to a Mormon. What would I ask? 
If I want to get to them, if I'm talking to a Muslim, what would I ask? If I'm talking to Jehovah's Witness, what would I ask? What do I need to know? And the reason I keep saying ask is because those of us who have been around Mormons in particular, how many Mormons know what Mormons teach and Mormons believe? How many of them know what Joseph Smith has taught? Right? And so to be able to try to spend all your time going through and showing, what well, did you know Brigham Young did this back in whatever year, right? It, it has such limited value. What I need to know is what do you know about God and Jesus? Great, you said the words Jesus. They tell me something that sounds good. Tell me more. What do you know about this, right? I need to know what they believe about God because that's all that's going to matter on the day of judgment is what you believe about Jesus. We read it earlier um, in Hebrews 7, how he is the guarantor. He, it is through Christ that we draw near and to know God. Um, and so without having a clear understanding of what the person in front of you believes about Jesus, it doesn't matter how much you know about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Islam. It, it doesn't matter. You need to know what the person in front of you believes to be able to talk to them about these things. And so you would get probably 50 different answers from 50 different Mormons on who Jesus is. They might give you some rhetoric that's built in that they're taught, but if you dig deeper, you'll learn more. And once they expose where there is clear false doctrine, right? So, oh, you believe in Jesus. Who is Jesus? They say all these things that sound good. Oh, do you believe Jesus is God? As soon as the answer is no, you now know where you need to spend your time. Let's go to the scripture and look at where Jesus is clearly God, right? And so I would encourage you through all of this, it should be a questioning mind, questioning spirit. How do we, in discussions with people or when we hear false doctrine, how do we ask the right questions to get to the heart of this? And so if you were to only take that away and not take any knowledge of what we will discuss in the next three weeks, but instead take away, I need to ask enough questions to know what this individual believes about Jesus, and I need to know who the true, one true Jesus who saves is, and I can find out what they believe wherever they're at on the spectrum, and the one steady Jesus, I need to get them that, I need to explain it clearly, take them to the scriptures on it, that's good enough. That's more valuable than all the other things we will discuss. Um, so that, that is the foundation. So we will not be able to go through every religion. These three, the reason I chose them is because they make claims about Jesus specifically, right? I, I thought about doing one on atheism. Atheisms make claims about, about Jesus, but it is much easier to see the clear um, contrast there as opposed to even um, Muslims trying to claim Jesus as good, but we having corrupted the words of Jesus. And um, Jehovah's Witnesses, right, having things that sound very similar. They carry a Bible, right? It says the word Bible on their book, and they carry it. Um, Mormons claim to hold the same scriptures, right? And so that's why we're focusing on these. Okay, that is what I have. We have five minutes. I'd love to hear any questions, discussion, comments um, on this topic. Just a couple of comments. One, one I was thinking um, about uh, Pilgrim's Progress and how many times the different characters as Christian or uh, Christiana is, are, are making their way in their pilgrimage come across different flavors of counterfeit. And um, this you know, kind of is similar to that in that sense that 
when they first meet them, there are things that seem appealing or the person has the, the right look or they're saying the right words. And then, of course, they're eventually exposed to be uh, set by the wicked prince. Uh, so um, that was just kind of coming to mind. Uh, the other thing I, I uh, wanted to point out is that, um, you know, you went there with the polemics and the, um, and the plagues. And, you know, God, God didn't just overcome, you know, Nick made the point over and over again, God didn't just overcome or overwhelm. It was very specific. The plagues were specific to what he was communicating. So there was indeed a connection, um, and, you know, a, similar to what you were just describing, that there was a, a point of engagement where he was showing he was mightier than they claimed in that specific way. And then likewise, Paul, even when he went to evangelize to the masses, he says, hey, by the way, this, this um, idol that you have to the unknown God, so he is using what they have for evil that's an idol and then immediately flips it into, here's the gospel. That, that, that God, the, the unknown God, let me tell you who that unknown God is. And then he launches into the gospel. So as far as that same idea of there being a connecting point that then takes you right back to the gospel. Thank you. Yeah, I even think to uh, Paul talking about um, Artemis and her temple, um, right? He, he's aware of the culture. I don't know to what extent he's studying those things. He's steeped in it. So I would imagine there's knowledge, and yet there is specific, um, you know, I, I, I'm later in Acts, or maybe it's earlier, I can't remember the order, but he talks about we do not worship gods made of uh, stone wood, these created materials. And so there's that at one end of the spectrum, but then you also have the specificity, like you're describing of the polemics of specifically knowing, well, this culture, the predominant thing in this area is the worship of Artemis um, and uh, attacks it specifically going back to Christ. So, yeah, agreed. Thank you. Any other comments? All right. All right. I hope we all will be confirmed in our knowledge of Jesus in this, right? We, we all in here are confessing every week to know Jesus. We pray because of a mediator. We have been saved by a mediator. The result of this should be the better, clearer understanding of your mediator. And um, my hope is, if anything, if you never get, if you never end up evangelizing, I think you're missing out. It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing to honor God and talking to coworkers, neighbors, spouses, kids, right? And yet, if anything, you should know the Jesus you worship when we are in here as a church. When you say the Apostles' Creed, I don't want a Mormon in here saying, thinking, yeah, we're on the same page, right? I want Mormons in here so they hear the truth. And yet the beauty of us saying the Apostles' Creed together is that we, in unity to the one true Christ, are saying it together. It is not the words and the sound of them, right? We're not even saying them in the original language they were written in, okay? The point is, regardless of the age, era, and time, regardless of the language they're set in, the thing in our heart is Jesus Christ and the one true Jesus Christ, and that is who we are testifying to, regardless of the claims of others. So may God be glorified, may we better see our Christ, and may we become more like Christ for the study uh, over these next few weeks. Let's pray. God, we are grateful 
for language. We are grateful for words. We are grateful uh, for grammatical rules which are arbitrary and chosen by um, just at certain points mass, um, mass decision, Lord. And yet, communication is clearly important. Reading, literacy is important. The ability to read the scripture, which was not just orally taught, though it has been, and we have a command to orally teach it, Lord, but it's been preserved in writing so that when someone, even if it were to be Paul, were to come and preach a false gospel, we could go to the text and say, you are a curse, Lord. And we pray that we will be gentle as doves, but wise as serpents, Lord. May we be aware of when your kingdom is under attack. And especially when a wolf attempts to put on the clothing of a sheep to try to slide in and to harm your church, Lord. May we be all shepherds of this church, shepherds of the kingdom, shepherds of the loved ones in our lives, that we might whack that wolf, move it along, and teach it the truth of the gospel. In your son's name we pray. Amen.